it's Miranda, and I'm so glad you're here with me today. This episode was originally recorded back in the summer of 2020, and it was recently edited for updates and re-released about a year after the original. There were some interesting developments going on in my life at that time, and I had some things to say about it. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Truth and Consequences, a podcast about trauma and its aftermath, where we talk about the difficult and often surprising challenges that affect us in the wake of trauma and other life-altering events. I'm your host, Miranda Pacchiana. I'm a writer and personal coach with a master's in social work and the creator of the website and online platform, The Second Wound. There's a reason I named my podcast Truth and Consequences. The name has multiple meanings, and one is obviously referring to my online platform, The Second Wound, which addresses the ways family members often re-victimize sexual abuse and assault survivors by denying or minimizing the abuse, victim blaming, and rejecting them in a variety of hurtful ways. But the title feels especially apt right now, given the reason I took a couple of months away from hosting the podcast. On June 30th, 2020, I filed a civil lawsuit for sexual assault. With the support of my attorney, Jordan Merson, I held a press conference that same day over Zoom, and I read a prepared statement. That lawsuit filing and press conference were a turning point for me and a literal moment of truth. Whoever said the truth will set you free, never mentioned the fine print, which reads, Not everyone who hears your truth will understand it, embrace it, or help you through it. Sad to say, the people you expect to be there for you are sometimes the people who, because of their own unresolved issues or egos, end up being the ones who support you the least or not at all. Some even turn their backs on you. What I will say is that it's nothing new to label women as crazy when we speak truth to power, and especially when we call people out. As for me, I got many second wound type responses from filing that lawsuit, as well as a whole gamut of reactions from people in my life, including my extended family, good and bad, supportive, rejecting, and everything in between. Do you guys remember my interview with David Wheeler, my very first interview on Truth and Consequences? He's my good friend. He's a grieving Sandy Hook dad. And he's a really remarkable speaker, person, interview subject. So he made a statement in that interview, speaking from his own experience, about what happens when you go through a tragedy or extremely challenging experience in your life. He said, you can take a legal pad and a magic marker and draw a line down the middle of the page. On one side, you can list all the people you are confident will step up and be there to hold your hand and comfort you. And on the other side are all the people you think won't come through for you when you need them the most. And in the end, as things unfold, you will be surprised to discover that you are wrong 25% of the time. So I have to say that I have found that to be true with both sides of that line having many surprises. 
I really did get a lot of messages of support and love and admiration for coming forward. Some people who have known me most of my life have so far chosen to remain silent, which has been difficult. On the other hand, childhood friends and other people I knew growing up who are just acquaintances reached out to say they believed me. Several confided that they too were sexually abused around the same time it was happening to me. And I have one cousin who stepped up and embraced me in a way I never expected. And she's been an enormous source of comfort and support to me these past few months. So a lot of people have reached out to ask me how I'm doing. Um, It's been an emotional roller coaster, to be honest, as you can probably imagine. I am grieving. I have felt exhausted, sad, angry. I've had nightmares and suffered flashbacks of the abuse. But I also feel proud, empowered. I feel incredibly supported and loved. I think that my friend Jen Elizabeth of Resurrection of Me said it best. She asked me how I was doing the first time we talked after I filed. And before I could answer, she just blurted out, you're surviving. And I think about that every day because it just sums it up. The highs, the lows, and everything in between, I am surviving. In fact, after many weeks of riding the emotional roller coaster, I realized I'm ready to do this again. Not only will I keep telling my truth and supporting survivors, but I also have bigger goals to achieve now. Because child abuse is also a pandemic, and we have so much work to do to prevent abuse, including changing laws like statutes of limitations that hold abusers accountable, like the New York Child Victims Act that I reference in my statement. To explain, New York State changed their laws around statute of limitations and created a two-year window, it was originally a one-year window, that allows people like me who wouldn't qualify under the old statute of limitations to pursue a civil case against abusers or institutions that allowed abuse to happen under their watch. So advocating for these types of changes and raising awareness of the effects of sexual abuse and assault is where I am increasingly putting my energies. And all of that sadness and hurt and anger has a purpose, and I'm determined to put it to use for good. As for the pushback I got about my lawsuit, I am aware that some people may see me as a cautionary tale. If you are listening and you are one of those people and you feel the need to speak up, please don't be deterred. I am still so glad I told. There are a million reasons people don't want to hear the truth, and every one of them is about those people. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about their own wounds their limitations, society's woefully lacking understanding and support, patriarchy and misogyny. It's all these reasons. But I believe the tide is slowly changing. I will say that most of the articles on my story quoted my Second Wound website. And by doing this, they gave credibility to me and my personal struggles and my hard-earned knowledge, and even the comfort I'm doing my best to provide to our survivor community. So now let's talk about child sexual abuse for a moment, shall we? It happens in schools, places of worship, and sometimes the victim's own home. 
people don't want to think about that. People don't want to know that it happens. And it happens all the time. I hear from survivors on a constant basis. And it might surprise some people to learn that when abuse happens at home, it's not always a parent, uncle, aunt, step parent, or some other grown up committing the abuse. And the truth is, we don't even know how prevalent it is because there are so many reasons people don't ever report. So I understand that it's distasteful to think about child sexual abuse, and it's scary to imagine as a prevalent danger. But while the act itself should be taboo, the act of uncovering and addressing child sexual abuse should not be taboo. Sunshine is the best disinfectant for the scourge of child sexual abuse. It thrives in darkness, and it spreads in silence. So the only way we can combat it is by making it easier for survivors to tell. Open the door, invite us in, and treat us kindly when we do tell. Because the truth is what is going to save us. Future generations will be spared, and current victims will get the help they need, as long as we keep telling and naming, and people respond appropriately. So, Here are a few statistics about child abuse in general. According to the CDC, at least one in seven children in the U.S. experience child abuse and or neglect in the past year. About 76% of child abuse perpetrators are parents of the victim. We know that childhood abuse results in adults experiencing more frequent mental health difficulties, including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, PTSD, CPTSD, eating disorders, and substance use disorders. We also know that COVID-19, keeping families home and together, keeping children out of the sight of caregivers, contributed to an increase in abuse and a decrease in interventions, and we just don't even know how bad it is we probably are not going to know for a long time. Generational family abuse, whether it's violence or sexual abuse, it spreads out across family trees when it's not stopped. It's like a weed that grows and spreads and chokes the tree's healthy growth until somebody chops it off on their branch or better yet at the base of the tree. Also in family trees and in cultures, you're always going to find enablers, silencers, victim blamers, and hierarchies that prop up offenders or squelch the truth. And by doing so, all of these factors perpetuate the spread of abuse. Furthermore, survivors like me and many of you listening get victim blamed and scapegoated when we defy the group think of our family or our culture and we do tell the truth. And that stinks. I can tell you from experience that is a huge understatement. But we have to keep telling. I know how painful it is to be rejected and dismissed, even erased, simply because you spoke up and made other people face your truth. But no matter what these people say, You are not a troublemaker for speaking up. Abusers are the troublemakers. We get treated like the black sheep, the scapegoats. But I am here to tell every survivor that that pushback is evidence that your actions are needed. Because every one of us who tells and helps stop the cycle is doing important work. 
I think we should wear these labels of black sheep and scapegoats proudly. I love all of you brave, beautiful black sheep and scapegoats. You are my people. We are the strong ones. We are the truth tellers. And when we speak up and when we speak out, we stop the generational trauma. Of course, the path that I'm choosing is hard. There are moments, honestly, I have felt lost and abandoned all over again. But I know who I am and I know what the truth is. I have right on my side. And there are many moments when I feel elated because due to the New York Child Victims Act and the fact that I was finally able to file that lawsuit, I feel like I am finally free. So on that note, I want to tell you a little story. About one week after the lawsuit, I was driving in my town in my little stick shift mini Cooper, and I'm listening to music, I'm driving up and down these windy, hilly roads, and I'm just letting myself feel all my emotions. And I look over at my left hand on the steering wheel, and I just got this vision of a blue butterfly tattooed on my wrist, kind of off-center, a beautiful blue, which most people don't realize that the blue butterfly is a symbol of sexual abuse and assault survivors. So I got this flash in my head, and I just realized right then and there I wanted my first tattoo. It wasn't like a thought-through decision. I didn't have to spend time on it. I know it sounds silly and impulsive, and that's not really me, but I just knew right then I wanted it. So I went home and I looked up tattoo parlors in the local city of Danbury, and they were all closed that day because it was a Monday. So I call the next morning and I get this lovely woman on the phone and she asks me what kind of tattoo I'm looking for. And I describe it to her and she says, you know what? I'm going to open early tomorrow just so I can do this tattoo for you. Turns out I find out once I'm there and she's giving me my tattoo that they're booking four weeks out. But this lovely tattoo artist, this woman, Jen, she wanted to do this butterfly that I had in mind. She liked the idea. So anyway, it was a lovely experience. She gave me a really beautiful tattoo and I just went home so happy. It was a feeling that I'd never had before. But most importantly, it felt like it marked the end of one era of my life and the beginning of another. I felt, okay, so the butterfly metaphor, I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? I don't care. I love it because I felt like I could only evolve so much as long as I had to stay quiet. But now there's no going back. I'm different. And my tattoo is my way of reminding myself that I possess both pain and courage, And only I could make this choice and only I could take this step into the unknown. And the only guarantee was that I would have this freedom. And I do. Now what I want is for every survivor to have this opportunity that I do to seek justice. It's so unfair that so many people don't. And that's what I'm going to try to change. And I hope you guys will help me. So if you want to see my tattoo, there are pictures of it on my social media pages for both Truth and Consequences and The Second Wound. And I really appreciate you being with me here today. 
Also, I have some special thank yous to finish off this episode. If you listen regularly, you know I always throw a thank you to my husband, Adam, for his constant and wonderful support. Well, today I have a few other people to shout out as well. The friends and family who are keeping me going these days, most of whom have been supporting and loving me for a long time, and my life is much richer for it. So ready? Here goes. Irene Moore, Jane Luongo, John Green, Rebecca Ciccarelli, Susie DeYoung, Scott Wolfman, Catherine Robb, Julie McMahon, Jennifer Hensel, Wendy Young, David and Francine Wheeler, Dee Hodson, Jim Hodson, Sarah Dessen, Jamie and Steve Martin, Cynthia Sandler, Nasa Waller, all my wonderful children, and of course, Adam, who has always been by my side on this bumpy road of recovery, and who somehow had even more capacity to support me through this latest stretch of road. Finally, my therapist, Susan Gross, and my badass, talented attorneys, Jordan Merson and Francis Garfinkel of Merson Law. Thank you all for being crucial members of what I like to call my truth squad. There are actually still more people who give me valuable support, and I appreciate every one of them. I just had to draw the line somewhere or this episode would go on way too long. So there's my update. Tune into the next episode to hear my super compelling interview with Jen Elizabeth, the creator of Resurrection of Me and a leader of the Sober Mom Squad, who I mentioned earlier in the episode. Jen is absolutely riveting to listen to, and she has such a story to tell. She was raised in a cult where she describes being abused by her pastor. She later became addicted to alcohol and drugs, moved on to heroin, which led her to prison and in and out of homelessness, all of which she turned around, starting with nothing but her will to survive, and she found a way to create a life worth living. She gives so much back to the world now. She's a true survivor, a beautiful person. She has a huge well of empathy and a determination to help others. She also has really important and original ideas to share about addiction recovery and the intersection of trauma and addiction. So I know you will be riveted by our conversation and as impressed and inspired by Jen as I am. Also check out truthandconsequences.com to find all our episodes, photos, and show notes. If you're interested in my personal coaching services, you can read about them on the coaching page at secondwound.com and get in touch, email me at Miranda at secondwound.com or go to the contact page on that site. If you like the podcast and want to support it, please tell your friends about it and give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Follow Truth and Consequences in the Second Wound on all the places. And thank you for listening and for all the support, everyone. And always remember, your truth matters. Original music for the Truth and Consequences podcast is composed and performed by my friend, tree expert extraordinaire, David Boyle.